Well, listen, today we are, um, you know, we are kind of landing the plane now in Acts. We're in the home stretch, uh, including this week we have just three sermons left. And so we're, we're kind of in a flow here. So picking up from last week and actually the last couple of weeks, I think we, we can all agree together that Paul has really been going through it at the end of Acts. Um, the nature and the end of his ministry just involve a lot of hardship, a lot of hassle. And, you know, and if you wonder, well, what it is he going through? He's going through the ringer. He's going through the fire. He's going through hard times. And today's passage, um, you'll see that the, uh, the, the theme holds here a little bit for him. Uh, we'll be in Acts 23, verses 12 through 35. I am only going to read Acts 12 uh, Acts 23, 12 through 22, and then we'll fill in after that. So hear the word of God this morning. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring Paul before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We're ready to kill him before he gets there. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of the plot, he went to the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. And so he took the boy to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. We've taken an, they've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone what you've reported to me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that you spoke to us. I thank you, Lord, that you got your heart to us, your commands, everything we need for life. Lord, you have done that. And so today we thank you that whether we run into encouragement, um, instruction, challenge, correction, God, everything leads to what we've been singing about today, which is life, life with you and life in you. So God, have your way in us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's the deal um, with Acts 23, 12 through 35. Nobody reads this passage and goes, I wonder what's going on here. All right, very straightforward. Um, even the most cursory reading, you know exactly what's happening. The action is that clear. Um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to highlight a couple of things, and then I'm going to go to one of the main points of the passage, all right? So um, when we start off here, Luke has been very clear, in, especially in Acts 21 through 23, to communicate that Paul is guilty of nothing. Um, legally speaking, Paul is in the clear. Sure, some people have been offended, but um, Paul is not guilty of anything that resembles a crime, all right? So we start there, and yet 40 men have bound themselves with an oath 
not to eat or to drink until they have killed Paul. Um, I don't want to sound like a know-it-all today. Um, wasn't uh, alive back then, believe it or not. Um, so I'm coming at this from a very different angle. I don't want to come off as, as a know-it-all or an expert in assassination plot theory. But um, this is not a good plan. Um, there is a huge flaw in this plot, and here's the flaw. If you don't run into Paul quickly, you won't kill him at all. I mean, think about it, okay? I mean, just let's fast forward, all right? Fast forward one day, two days, three days, all right? It's not just that they're not eating. They're not eating or drinking. So imagine three days down the line, the ringleader goes, there's Paul. Get him, gang. And he stops and looks around. He's like, why, why is nobody moving? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, one, one guy's, you know, standing up. And he's going, oh, my gosh, boss, I'm sorry, but when I stood up, I got dizzy. You know, another guy's doubled over. I have, my stomach is killing me. I'm so hungry. Another guy's like, I can't even pick up my knife. I'm so weak. And then guy number four is just going, water, water. This is a kooky plan. It's not going to work. I mean, and we can all say, look, okay, we admire your commitment to a cause, I guess. But your, your plot, your plan here is it's like a three-year-old, okay, who's, who wants a piece of candy really bad and says to his mom and dad, I'm going to hold my breath until you give me candy. <gasps> and what do the parents do? Go right ahead, sweetheart, knock yourself out, <laughs> which is going to happen if they follow through. So there's a problem here, all right? But nevertheless, the, the plot has been thrown out here. And so now the thugs get up, you know, they, they mount up and they march over to the Sanhedrin with this plan just saying, look, if, if you guys will agree, if you guys will agree, agree to lure Paul out into the open, say you want more information about his case, you know, no one's gotten to the bottom of this. Say you want to talk to him one more time and just see if you can figure it all out. We'll hide an ambush. When Paul's making his way, we'll jump out and we'll kill him. And the shocker here is that these religious priests agree. They agree to the plot. And so, of course, what, what happens next is what always happens next when you cook up shenanigans that involve too many people, right? You know what happens? Word gets out every time. People find out about your shenanigans. Forty guys, these priests, very soon the Sanhedrin. So what happens is that Paul's nephew, and this is where we learn Paul has a sister and a nephew, but the, the nephew, he hears the hot goss, right? He hears the word on the street, and he goes straight to Paul with the news. Now, just so you know, we read Paul as, you know, he's, he's being held, he's in prison. This is not behind bars, chained up. Paul was, was pretty much in a safe house, Okay, this is a protected place for Paul, so he's got some leeway. Nephew comes up, tells Paul what's going on, and Paul immediately says, all right, make your way to the commander. Tell him what you've heard. And the commander, when he gets word of this, his response is, no way, no chance, not on my watch for a lot of reasons, okay? One of the reasons is that he is responsible for Paul, Okay, Paul is under his care. If anything happens to Paul, guess who's going to pay for it? The commander. It's, this is not about to happen. The commander also has learned that Paul is a Roman citizen. He has rights. 
And if he in any way knew about an assassination plot, let it happen, I mean, again, it's all on his head. But see, the commander is also convinced that all of this with Paul is nothing more than a religious squabble. He, he can't see anything that Paul has done. And now, remember, he's heard from the crowd. He's heard from Paul. He's heard from the Sanhedrin. He hasn't heard anything that deserves punishment or death. And you know how we know that? Because he writes it down in his police report that he sends to Governor Felix in verse 27 through 30. And so what the commander does, okay, this is amazing. The commander says, okay, all right, well, let, let's make a counter move here. So he... Uh, he changes the schedule, and he decides to have Paul move to Caesarea by night instead of the next day. And Paul will be escorted. Uh, Paul will be escorted by 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. So you know what the, you know what the governor's saying? He's going, all right, okay. If you find out he's being transported in the middle of the night, good luck with your 40 half-starved men against my 470 soldiers. I mean, you know, do the math. That is almost 12 times the amount. So he is throwing the gauntlet down and saying, bring it. Um, Good luck. That's what he's saying. Good luck with your little plan, guys. Now, if you're like me, I find this passage fascinating um, because of the extremes. I think the extremes are hilarious, you know? Not let's kill Paul, but let's starve ourselves to death, you know, as a, as a motivation to kill Paul. That's a bit out there, right? You know, let's, let's go and get the Sanhedrin involved. Let's, let's hide in the bushes, you know? Everything about this is, is extreme. Even the governor's reaction is very extreme. And we've had some fun with a few of those extremes, but there's one thing I want to focus on as we, as we, you know, trying to make something out of this. It's the one thing that I can't get away. And y'all, I tried to write like 20 different endings. This I'm like, I can't get away from this one thing. So I'm going to trust that this is from the Lord today. Um, And it is that a bunch of priests go in on an assassination plot. That they agree to lure Paul to a meeting where he will be murdered by thugs along the way. I can't get away from that, right? Now, well, here's what I want to do. I want to give the thugs a free pass, okay? Because thugs are thugs after all, right? Right, Donnie? Yeah, thugs are thugs, right? So, but these are religious priests. And I just want to make sure we pull this together, like understand who these guys are. These religious priests, they were born into the faith of Israel. That's a big deal. They, they have spent their whole lives in the Word of God. And for these guys, it's reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, ordering their lives around the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. The, these guys led worship in the temple. These guys are responsible to raise up the next generation in the faith. And, and back then, um, thank the Lord for this, Donnie, but, but rabbis back then were the seminary, okay? So they trained young men for ministry to come after them. Wow, I mean, it, when you start putting that together, these guys are in on the plot. And by the way, just so you know, these guys were also bound to the greatest commandment. Sometimes we hear that and we go, well, wait a minute, Jesus put the greatest commandment together. 
Well, actually, the greatest commandment comes out of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. They know that their lives, especially as ministers, are about loving the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, all yourself, helping others to do that, leading people in that, and also loving your neighbor as yourself. They know this. And yet still here they are involved in a murder plot, a murder plot involving a fellow Jew, even though their Old Testament, their Ten Commandments strictly forbids it. Now, you're probably sitting there going, where is he going with this, okay? Here's where we're going with this. It is so easy to read about the religious priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other religious leaders, and go, man, I am glad that is in the past. I'm glad those guys are not a part of the church. Ancient history, glad we moved on. We can't make the mistake, though, of believing that this could never happen to us, that we could never fall into the same trap as the church and as, as, as religious people. And you might be going, now, wait a minute, hold on just a second, Steve. How in the world can you say that? I mean, how could we end up in a place like this? Well, let's stop and consider Jesus's words to us. Matthew 5, 21 through 23, okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard it said long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yes, Jesus, we're with you, okay? But then he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with, meaning hating a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a statement of contempt, right? It's just contempt language, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the uh, danger of the fire of hell. Now, we don't want to stretch this too far, okay? You don't want to stretch th this too far, but Jesus is making a comparison between hatred within us towards people and actual murder. I mean, Jesus is making a connection. And he goes on to say, thank you, Jesus, for this. He goes on to essentially say, so get that out of your life. You know, uh, repent of that, be reconciled to God and to others before this life ends because hatred or contempt, and, and y'all, as Christians, we love to do this. Oh, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. You know, or, oh, I've got a little, little bitterness, but it's not an offense. Hatred is all of that kind of contempt. But, but what he's saying is, look, hatred will not serve you well when this life ends. And we say that understanding that sometimes people make the first move. Sometimes people make the only move. Sometimes, and I've been in this situation maybe once, where I was a complete victim and it was all their fault. This still applies. There's a way to get free of that. And Jesus calls us out. And that certainly in, applies to us as individuals. It serves as a warning between me and the people in my life, uh, Matea, you and the people in your life. I mean, every one of us as individuals, but we do have to recognize that this happens to people in groups as well. Whole groups of people can take off an emotion, an ethos. Jesus says this, okay, listen to this, it, to his followers in Matthew 24, 10 through 12. So this is just before the end just before he's arrested, tried, well, just before what Paul is going through, or Paul's going through all this, Jesus has been through that. So it's set in that. And Jesus begins to talk to his followers about the end times. Now, when are the end times? 
now. He's talking about the days we are living in. Listen to what Jesus says. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Oh my gosh, did you hear what Jesus said? Is he talking about right now or what? I mean, we, y'all, we can look up and we can see a lot of this. You know, people turning away from the faith, walking away from spiritual community. That's certainly happening. A lot of deceivers out there. They've always been out there. Some are religious. Oh, well, just cut and paste this away and follow us to somewhere different. Some, sometimes it's not religious. It's just, come, here's this whole other kind of way of life. So that's certainly true. Um, uh, people are deceived. You know, there, there's some deception going on for sure, or the false prophets wouldn't really work. And wickedness will increase. We see that everywhere we look in our world. It's all over the place, right? Um, we talk about that sometimes because we see it. But what we don't want to dismiss are those other things Jesus just said. Many will hate each other, and the love of most will grow cold. So what Jesus is saying here, I think, to us is, when you read Acts 23, don't think that can't be you. Don't think it can't happen to you. Happen to them, it could happen to you, because in the last days, many will hate, and the love of most will grow cold. And that's why we want to be really careful as Christians, okay, to guard our hearts and to beware not to enter into the zeitgeist. And the zeitgeist is the spirit of the age. And in every area, era of, of human history has a zeitgeist. You know, the zeitgeist was a little different during the Crusades than it was in the 70s and free love. But th- th- there's a flow, there's a feel to, to every time in life. And we want to be very careful about the spirit of our age. And one of the things that you see in our world, and you hear it everywhere, is really what what is going on here with these priests. It's contempt. Have y'all noticed how much contempt there is in our society? You know, contempt for authority. You know, whether it's authority in the White House or in the governor's palace or or, or the authority riding around, uh, keeping our laws. Uh, contempt for, for the authority that teaches in the classroom. I mean, it's incredible in our world today. Cancel culture, contempt for authority, contempt for anybody on the other side of the political aisle. Uh, contempt for anybody who is not just like me, anybody who gets in my way, anybody who doesn't believe the way I believe. If they're different, no. A lot of contempt. But why us? Why do we need to beware? I mean, we're the church, right? I mean, what, what do we have to worry about? We're saved, our ticket's punched. I mean, come on, we're all good. We even sang worship songs today. We're all good. Nothing for us to worry about. No, because contempt and hatred are not just out there in the world. They do creep into the church. And I think they have creeped into the church, and there's no reason for them to be in the church. Christians today... Um, are speaking with hearts full of contempt towards authority. I found myself doing that sometimes. Using words worse than fool and raka to describe fellow human beings. Living out the very definition of what Jesus calls a murderous heart. And I believe, this is what I'm saying, 
I believe when we enter into that place, what we're doing is we're pulling up a chair, pulling out a chair, and we're sitting right down with these priests. It can happen. It can happen in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the lesson this is a really tough lesson. It's going to be a hard one to remember, okay? So I'm just warning you. You probably want to write this down. The lesson of this passage today is don't be those guys. There's no need to be these guys. We are the people of God, and we have been rescued by the saving love of God. And we are called to live out that love in relationships, right? In, in marital relationships, in family relationships, in relationships with friends, uh, in, in relationships with our brothers and sisters, and in relationship even with people who act like enemies toward us. We are called to live, youth choir, where are you guys? The life of love. You guys preached it before I got to it. And the truth is God has an amazing adventure for those who would dare to love and serve and bless this world. And by the way, I need to say this, that doesn't mean that we compromise the word of God in any way. You know, this is one of the themes I've heard probably in the last 10 years of my pastorate where, where people say, hey, you know, but well, wait a minute, if I love people in sin, you know, if, if someone's an active sinner, man, especially if everyone can see they're a sinner, if I love them, I'm compromising the word of God. I'm soft on sin. That's the message I'm sending. And by the way, it's a common fear, but it's not true. It absolutely is not true. Look at Jesus. He led with love, and he brought the word of God in, and what happened to people? They were saved. They were drawn into the kingdom of God. Jesus loved, and his love opened the door for the word of God and the person of God to enter into people's lives. That's why we have that little phrase in, in Scripture, speaking the truth in love. You know why? Why that's there? Because the word of God and the love of God are not competitors. They are companions. The love of God and the word of God always go together. Salvation happens to people when they experience the love of God and the word of God. And that's the written word of God and Jesus, the word of God. I tell you when, when it gets kind of rough though, is when a person uh, get saved only in response to the truth and not love. Those usually don't last very long. And when you get saved only with the love of God, without the word of God, you usually get a great big mess. So these two come together for us, the people of God, in, in every ministry situation. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace. And Lord, I, I love that you don't, <clears throat> you don't say, okay, here's your name bag, badge when you say yes to Jesus and you can just become anything you want to be. Um, you can live a life apart from the Word of God, or you can power up in the Word of God and throw away the love of God. God, I thank you that you have called us to a place of balance and to a place of real love, walking in the Word of God. Lord, we, we want so much. We want so much to reflect you in this age. We want people to see you. God, we, we want people to hear your voice when we speak. Father, when we serve someone, we, we want, God, them to, to just go away from that encounter knowing that something has changed, something has shifted. Lord, as you draw us in to a bigger life, we thank you that your promise is to draw others. They will know we are Christians by our love. In Jesus' name, amen.